Get up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning.
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. You're a little bit dark right now. I can't see you, but you can see me. Yes? Okay. <laughs> welcome. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're visiting, a very special welcome. We're glad that you decided to join our family this morning. And I am coming up just to make a couple of quick announcements for the ladies of the Church of Carpenter's Way. And the first thing is, if you have your worship guides, you'll notice that there are Bible studies are starting up again. And you might notice something that there is a little bit of a repeat, <laughs> but we want to make some of these studies available for those who haven't had a chance to do them yet. So let me go through them very quickly. The first is the discerning the voice of God. A one group did this during the day, but we're going to make this available on a Sunday evening. Um, there are some of us who didn't get a chance to do that. And we'd like to do that. And that's um, a study that's by Priscilla Shire. And we're going to st uh, start, I'm so sorry, talking too fast. We're going to start the last Sunday of January, on January 28th. And that one, we do have child care available in the evening. So um, if you need that, there's a place to sign up out on the women's table in the, the welcome area. And then the, there are two other opportunities, and it's for the study called Seamless. We had done this on a, a couple other times in different, different, um, different times, um, but we're going to make it available for the Tuesday morning one as well as the Wednesday evening. If you have not done Seamless, it is a great study. It, um, as it says, it is, okay, let me put these glasses on, <laughs> understanding the Bible as one complete story. And it is a great study to go from Genesis through Revelation, and you're thinking, how do you do that in about seven weeks' time? Well, it is an overview, but it is a great way to get the big picture, rather than thinking, well, what does this book in the Old Testament have to do with this over here? Because we know that this is one great story that God gave to us, and this is a great study for you to go from Genesis to Revelation and see that. It's a very encouraging study, so if you haven't done it, I want to encourage you to jump in on one of those. Um, and one last thing is I wanted to just uh, make you aware of an opportunity in our community. Um, if Gathering, it's a, it's a conference once a year. Um, it takes place in Austin, and they started about four years ago. And um, you can, usually that's sold out only a few, I don't know how many, a couple thousand people get to go to that one, but they've, it's always been simulcast. And so local groups throughout the country and the world have been um, joining in and doing this. And I know Lufkin has done it in years past, and other people have um, come to leadership, but we have several of our own ladies who are in the leadership of getting this together, and so I wanted to make you aware of it. Um, it's a conference on February 9th and 10th, a Friday evening and a Saturday, and this time it's going to be taking place at um, Camp His Way out in Zavala. Um, you are welcome to go and spend the night, <laughs> um, but you can also just go for a Saturday, but what, if you are interested at all, there are little cards out on the ladies' table in the welcome area, and all you have to do is just get online. It'll give you all the information, and if you're interested in doing that, I just want to make you aware of that. So jump in, ladies. There's opportunities. Thank you, Julie. Good morning. Uh, I want to uh, kind of pick up where she let, left off. Let me just say welcome. Uh, for those of you who are visiting Carpenter's Way or if you're watching on the Internet, you know, um, one of the things, and I haven't said this in a while, and I'm going to jump off of what Julie's talking about because it's really important that we, we make it clear. There are two things we're about at Carpenter's Way. One is getting to know God, our relationship with God through his word specifically. But the second thing is 
building relationships with each other. Uh, God has given us each other to spur each other on as we do life and walk with him and go through this journey. And uh, in order to do that, though, we have to have relationships. And gathering in a large group like this, it's really impossible to build the, the kind of meaningful relationships we need. So where that's done is in these smaller group Bible studies, the women's Bible studies. Men, we meet at Tuesday morning at 630. Uh, we build relationships with each other as we talk about God. But also on Sunday morning, we have a couple that take place during the 8 o'clock hour. And then about six or seven more adult Bible studies that take place through uh, at the 11 o'clock hour. And uh, so if you've been w with us at Carpenter's Way or you're checking the church out or you're interested in getting to know folks, that's how you do that. And after the service, and I know it takes a little courage, but after the service, if you're interested in finding out where a Bible study is or you want to jump into one, um, I'm going to be here up here after. We have a couple other people, and we'd love to take you to one and to introduce you. And that's how you jump. And, and, and look, if you go to one and you don't like that one, there's like six or seven others that we'll take you to. One of those will fit your need. They're not age graded. Uh, they, most of them study the same text we're preaching on so we can interact on it after. But we, we really want to encourage you to get involved. That's how you go the next step beyond just being in the worship service and, and, uh, and all. So please make use of those. We put these things in the worship guide uh, for you. And uh, look, if, you, if this is your first time here or you're watching on the internet and you want to build relationships with other believers, uh, you need to jump in. That's why God invented the church and this is how you do it. And if you'll come grab me after or call tomorrow or email or text, we'd love to get together and talk with you uh, through all those things. Um, so check all that out. Lots of stuff in the worship guide that you need to be aware of. Uh, we've got student things coming up that we want you to be aware of. The Mosaic Center is looking for their next class. If you know somebody, there's information in the worship uh, guide about that. Um, so please make use of that. I'm going to ask at this time our ushers to come forward as we prepare for our offering. Uh, one more thing I forgot to mention, that in the worship guide, there's a, a ministry opportunity. If you're not involved, if you're a Carpenter's Way person and, and you're not involved in ministry, we're looking for the, to add folks to our greeters ministry just to make people feel at home. Uh, offer them a cup of coffee or whatnot when they come in so that they feel at home. Uh, if you'll fill that out, you could drop it in the offering plate or give it to an usher or a sound guy or me after the service, and we'll make sure you're contacted. Uh, let me talk about the offering for a moment uh, for those uh, so that we're all on the same page on this. The, the monies that we take go to support missionaries. Obviously, there's some confusion as to who's going to be where, but just let them work it out. Um, uh, <laughs> if I have to grab a plate and walk through, I will as well. So... But, <laughs> but in any case, uh, the, the offerings that we take are, uh, are to be given by those who attend here regularly or members. Uh, and we, we commit to missionary work across the globe as well as 14 mission works uh, locally that we are a part of, individuals that we support, uh, and the ministries of Carpenter's Way. Uh, as, the, as members of this church, that's our commitment. If you're visiting here, we ask you not to give. This is for those who attend here regularly. We do not want you distracted by money. Um, and uh, for the rest of us, this is part of our responsibility, and we want to continue to be faithful in that. But I, I wanted to make it clear as to what happens with these monies. They do not go into my pocket, although I think that would be a really nice gesture of this church. Let's close. No, 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 let's not close. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we love you. We're thankful that we can gather here together this morning and, and get into your word and study. And I thank you for First Samuel chapter 5 that we're going to be in this morning. And what a great story, Lord. I'm pretty excited to... To, to present it. I'm pretty excited to share what you've taught me this week. Boy, there's some things that I need to be reminded of, and I, I pray that we'll all be reminded of these things this morning. Father, I know there's lots of folks that are sick right now with the flu and just respiratory infections and stomach bugs uh, from our church, and we pray you'd bring healing to them. And 
Lord, there's folks in our church that have lost loved ones recently or themselves have been diagnosed with sickness that have them scared or sad, and we just pray that you'd bring comfort and courage to them and hope. And Lord, for uh, our college kids that just returned back to their campuses and our, our students and our children that just went back to school, we pray that, Lord, you would begin to work in them and help them see this as a mission opportunity of their life. This is their mission field. And for us as parents, Father, I pray that we would see our own children as, as, as mission fields. And Lord, just, just help us to see life, the world, those we're, we live with, those that we work with, those that we play with. Uh, help us see them from your wor uh, worldview. Help us to see them from your perspective. And I pray that today would just be a small piece in that. May we encourage those whose hearts are heavy. May we focus those distracted on you. And at the end of, of our time together today, may we all be closer to you because we met with you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
quietly before God for my hope is in him he alone is my rock and my salvation my fortress where I will not be shaken my victory and honor come from God alone he is my refuge a rock where no enemy can reach me oh my people trust in him at all times pour out your heart to him for God is our refuge your mind go to a place where you just really kind of just stop and consider uh, just how big this God is that we worship. I know like being in church and you know you just kind of go through the motions. You get here on Sunday morning and life's been crazy. And it's like okay we're going to worship this God. But how often do we actually stop and just consider like how big must he be? And you look up in the sky and you see stars and you see the sun and the moon. How big is this God that actually was able to this. And we take that for granted so often. I know I take that for granted so often. We just rush into worship. It's like, okay, here we are, God. Let's worship you. And we don't really stop to consider who is this God that we're worshiping? Who is this God that is just so beyond anything that we can even imagine that our words are just, they don't even do justice. Like we try to come up with these fancy words to describe him and it's just, it just hells in comparison. So we'll just take just a moment. Take a moment. Just let your mind go to a place where you're like, there's stars out there that we haven't even discovered yet. They're so far beyond what we can see. And this God made every single one of them. How great is that God? How big is that God? And so just take a moment, take a second, just where you're at, just be quiet. Let your mind go to that place.
Oh 
phenomenal song. Dismiss the kids at this time for their programs. We have, uh, for those of you who are visiting, we have programs for children up through third grade. They have their own little church service. So uh, if you've got a child in that age group, and if you're new and you want to check out what's going on, you can go with them. Now, you'll be taller than everybody else, but uh, make yourself at home in there. You know, sometimes I forget when I'm talking about all the Bible studies we have and the smaller groups that we have going on. Sometimes I forget Wednesday nights. And, uh, you know, even this idea of building relationships with each other as we build our relationship with God continues all the way down through our children's ministry. And on Wednesday nights at 6.30, we have stuff going on for our young, for, for infants all the way up through uh, high school. And, uh, we, uh, and we have an adult Bible study in here right now. We're going through Genesis, and uh, we would sure love for you to give it a try. I think you'd like it. It's not an opportunity for me to preach. It's an opportunity. I, I teach that adult Bible study and gives us a chance just to reason together around Scripture, and it's a lot of fun. So I, I, really, I, I really beg of you, if, if this is where you feel God's calling, you need to jump into one of those. Is, uh, that's where we kind of talk to each other a little bit instead of being talked at like Sunday morning. Uh, Israel had just lost 34,000 warriors in the battle with the Philistines that both the Jews and the Philistines thought at some point the Jews would win. You may remember this from our study in 1 Samuel chapter 4 last week. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 5 this, this morning. But in that battle, you'll remember that two priests named Hophni and Phinehas, who were actually the sons of the high priest Eli, are killed in that battle as they escort the ark to the, to the camp. Um, finding out that the ark of the covenant had been captured by the Philistines, Eli, the high priest, actually a large old man, falls over in his chair and his neck breaks and he dies. Hearing that her husband Phineas and her father-in-law Eli are dead and that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured, the pregnant widow of Phineas goes into labor and, and dies after giving birth to her son, whom she calls Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has left us. We saw in last week's time together that the Jews expected to win because the Ark was there. I encourage you, if you have not been with us the last few weeks, to go back in the archives online and, and watch those. This is very, very important because although people, uh, although technology has changed, people haven't. The same struggles they had with God back then as the Jews, the church has today. They were sure that they would win this battle because the Ark of the Covenant had brought, in, been in, brought into the war. And one thing we saw last week is that the pagan Philistines were actually not terrified of the Ark as much as, much as the God of Israel that resided in the ark. While the Jews looked at the ark for victory like a superstition, the Philistines looked at the God of the ark as the one that was to be feared, for they had heard what God had done to the Egyptians back in the day. Shocking to all involved, though, the Jews lost these battles, and as I had already mentioned, 34,000 Jewish warriors are killed. The ark of the covenant is captured. The nation of Israel is now without a high priest, and the priests who take care of the ark, Hophni and Phinehas. On a side note, I did not mention this last week. I think some of you discussed this in your Bible study groups. But one of the things that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, and we talked about this in recent weeks, you know, uh, this, the one who authored this book, as far as we know, Samuel, we see him as a great, uh, a great high priest, a prophet, a judge. We, we look at this guy as a full-grown adult. But I want, I want to let you know that this is when he's about 13 years of age this happens. So this nature, this nation that does not have a high priest now because he just died and doesn't have the two guys that take care of the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the Lord resided, are now without them, and they have been replaced by a little cantor by the name of Sam. And I use the name Sammy 
because I want you to understand that he's just a 13-year-old boy. And this nation wrapped their arms around the Jewish religion. With this history in mind, I want to jump into the text, and what a wild story this is. 1 Samuel 5, verse 1. After the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to a town of Ashdod. They carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. By way of reminder, it's not until Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, actually inhabits his people. Up to this point, to meet with God, the people would have to send an intercessor, a priest or a high priest, to the Ark of the Covenant where God had promised he would live between the two cherub angels on top. That's what it was so significant. God had promised the nation of Israel that if they wanted to meet with him, they could meet with him there. This is a, a really important concept. The Jews, and I make the case last week, so if you don't buy into this, you need to go back and look at why I make this point. The Jews, and now the Philistines, see the Ark of God as a token. It's, 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 uh, for the Jews, it was a good luck charm when they wanted something. For the Philistines... It was the spoils of war, but it was powerful because they believed it was the temple containing the gods of the Jews. And so they take it off the battlefield, 50 miles inland away from where they were fighting, away from Israel, and they take it to their chief god's temple, Dagon, and they set it next to him. Because if you understand religion, you want to get all the gods on your side. The Philistines believed not in one God, but many gods. And this God would just be added to their trophy of gods that would be on their side. Dagon, the chief deity of the Philistines, according to ancient mythology, was the father of Baal. He was the fish god. Uh, Dag in Hebrews means fish. And he was represented as an idol of half man, half, half fish creature. The Philistines, at one time, were a seafaring people. They had since left the sea, moved inland, and now were farming people. So Dagon was no longer the fish god, although they kept his fish half. He was now the god of grain. Because when God isn't real, you can make him up to be anything you want him to be. And that's what they did. It is apparent that to most people, you just change your god to see fit. When God is the creation of man, he can change when man is the creation of God, he is who he is. 1 Samuel 5, 3. When the citizens of Ashdod went to see the ark the next morning, so pause, so they take the ark of God off of the battlefield, inland, they move him into this temple, the people in Ashdod hear about it, and so they come to see it, the next morning, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord. Apparently, the Ark was not merely the token of God that the Jews thought. It was, in fact, his dwelling place, and even fake, lifeless gods made of stone cannot stand before this God of the Jews. The Jews did not worship just another idea or a religious icon. We do not worship just some limited truth that we have made up we serve a living and true holy one not just of israel but of all time and in all places 
the one who sat between the cherub on the Ark of the Covenant was not merely just some god the Jews had conjured up out of desire. That god was the form of a cow. Take a breath. I, it's really I'm going slow because I really want you to see what's in the heart of all of these people in this story today. The Jews did, in fact, invent a god. Remember? After Moses did come down in their time frame, they take all the gold earrings of the people, they throw it into a fire, and Aaron says, and out came a cow. Remember that? This, this God wasn't one they conjured up. This God was the one who introduced himself to them. The one who sat between the cherub on that ark was not merely some guy, some God the Jews made up out of desire. He is the God of gods, the king of kings that even rocks themselves, that Dagon was chiseled out of new, even rocks cry out his name. I want to remind you that scripture tells us that if we don't worship the rocks themselves, the creation itself will worship God. We sing songs, we paint pictures, we talk of Jesus, we watch people use his name in vain. We say, oh my God, as if that's nothing. And we don't understand that who we are dealing with is not some American religion or some religion we were smart enough to be born into or our parents bought into or some right-wing conservative movement that makes us better than everybody else. This one existed before anything else existed. He is who he is. And at his feet, every knee will bow, whether you're a human, an animal, a rock. 1 Samuel 5, 3. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and his hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only that you can laugh. This is funny. Only his body was left intact. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod will step on its threshold. Just so you know, Dagon never moved until Jehovah showed up. Just so you know, this one we sang to, holy, holy, holy this morning, is holy whether we sing to him or not. If the whole world decides that they don't like Jehovah God, he's still Jehovah God. And I believe that our culture, I know that our culture is moving away from that. And I want to add, I think even the church is moving away from that. I believe that if you look around the church in general today, you will find a church that keeps trying to recreate God in their image. Their fish God is now a grain God. We move him from a God who is and deserves to be worshipped because of who he is to a God who just kind of hangs out and waits for us to ask for stuff. The Jews never really did understand who God was and who it was who delivered them from Egypt because within days they're complaining that you brought us out here to die. Just so you know, if you understand who God is and he wants to take you out in the middle of the wilderness to die, he can do that. Because he's God. He gets to decide that. Well, I don't like that. If he's real, you don't have much of a say in it. And I think that the Jews were in danger. They're not in danger. They're in full-fledged redeveloping who he is so that he'll win their battles without any faithfulness to him. 
This is a nation that completely blew off their side of the Mosaic Covenant for their own will, for their own desires, and it is just starting. Wait until you hear God himself through prophet Samuel say, if you choose for yourself a human king, he is going to be evil. He's going to take a large portion of your money. He's going to send your boys into battle. You are, uh, decisions will be made that you don't like. He is going to lay out a case, and the people are going to say, even if he's evil, we choose him over you. Before we jump farther, I just want you to know that even at Carpenter's Way, I've had a number of people say as they're leaving the church, if that's who God is, I don't want any part of him. I think we've forgotten our place. We don't get to decide who he is or what he's like or how he interacts with people. And I think we've decided that we get to do that, and I'm here to tell you that we don't. We look at them and we go, well, how silly are they? They've got a half-man, half-fish idol, and then all of a sudden that half-man, half-fish idol that once was about a fishing god, now all of a sudden he's a grain god. How silly are they? But do we not do the same thing at times? The only time we pray is when we want something or need something. Worship is something we do once a week at church. It's not something we do in our hearts. Back to the story. The Jews had never really taken God seriously. He was merely a force with which they would seek their own way. And soon in this book, as I've already told you, just like on the day of the triumphal entry, they will reject God flat out. To be clear, the day of the triumphal entry, and we'll talk about this as Easter gets closer because I want you to understand that the day of triumphal entry, in my own opinion, a lot disagree with me here obviously, was not a great day. The day of the triumphal entry was the day that the people thought that Jesus was going to offer them everything they wanted. And what did they want? They wanted health care. They wanted food. They wanted the Romans out of their face. They wanted to rule the world. Even the disciples wanted Jesus to simply rule, and they wanted to be on his council. They were even debating among themselves who was going to be on the right or left of Jesus. Why? Because that gave them influence. If you go back and you read the Gospels, and not just to learn about Jesus' teaching, but you actually read them, you find the disciples constantly rebuking Jesus over his teachings. They were constantly pushing back. Why? Because they didn't like what he taught. Nobody split his followers more than Jesus Christ. He would feed 5,000 plus women and children, 15, 20,000 people. He would feed them with a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and they would leave him because he stopped feeding them. Why? Because ultimately people go for a God that does what they want him to do. And when he identified himself as coming to serve his father and not himself, they would walk away. The Philistines, having seen the, God's power played out in Egypt, really have no clue who it is that, that they have before them. I wonder myself if I really understand who it is that I just sang to. Do I really grasp the one that I talk so lightly of, the one that I often doubt and question his understanding of my personal circumstances? Do I really grasp who he really, really is? Listen to Psalm 114 or read it with me. When the Israelites escaped from, Jesus, when, uh, uh, from Egypt, <clears throat> when the family of Jacob left that foreign land, the land of Judah, became God's sanctuary, and Israel became his kingdom. The Red Sea saw them coming, and it hurled out of their way. I shared on, on Wednesday night and with some uh, seniors I got to speak to this week that the History Channel has made a million dollars trying to figure out how that Red Sea parted when they're not trying to say that that's just folklore. That's a weird quandary. But they say it was the wind or an earthquake or high ground. 
They make excuses for it, and I simply say, I don't care how it happened. What's amazing is it happened at exactly the right time when God said it would. You see, the truth is, this tells us that the Red Sea parted because God showed up. The Red Sea parted because God showed up. We can ask ourselves all day, how did those idols of Dagon fall? Maybe it was spies. All I know is those idols fell. We forget that. We forget ourselves. We want to debate in the church over, is it theistic evolution? In other words, God started it, and time, over time the world, the world developed. Who cares? God spoke the beginning into existence. Well, it might have been a big bang, science says. Well, for God to speak that, it was probably something big. Who knows if it had sound? It's God. This is Jehovah God who exists even in the absence of worship. And if we cease to worship, the rocks themselves will bow down and break apart. That too is truth. The Philistines don't get this. They don't understand that there is only one true, living, real God. And unlike Dagon, which is insane if you think about it, because they're the ones who chiseled him and created him, he was not thought up by man for, for who he is. Because who he is, he's always been, and he evermore will be. Our God is holy, whether we understand him or not. He is all-powerful. He isn't just the king of kings. He is the God of gods. He is the one that gods bow down to. Well, gods aren't true. Nebuchadnezzar did. He claimed to be a god. This god that we think is on the side of the Jews, who that we often think is on the side of America who is actually on his own side and can do anything he pleases with no one to stop him, whether we think it's right or not. In his mercy, what's happening in this story is he's not sending judgment on the Philistines. He's introducing himself to them. Please don't forget that the reason you have the ten plagues is not to punish the Egyptians. We think that that's how. Why do we have the ten plagues? So that God could remove the nation of Israel from Egyptian slavery wrong answer if God wanted to annihilate anybody with Egyptian blood he could have thought it and they ceased to exist he could erase their name from history but he did not he could have given the Jews the Egyptians houses but he did not instead what he did was he introduced himself to the world if you don't know that's what he's doing you haven't carefully read the story because it says it a dozen times and everywhere we go in the Old Testament and they show up among nations those nations talk about what God didn't the gods of the Jews did in Egypt. God introduced himself, and in his mercy, he's introducing himself here to the Philistines. Verse 6, then the Lord's heavy hand, so you've got the uh, Dagon's falling over, uh, and then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with plagues of tumors, not judgment, but merciful self-introduction. Well, that sounds like judgment to me. That's because you don't understand how powerful God is. You see, people keep saying that God's going to judge America or God's going to judge this or that. You know, God doesn't have to. He can send us all to hell if he wants. Do you realize that? He doesn't have to spank us before he burns us. You know that. We've lost our collective heads here. 
God is introducing himself to people. And he's introducing himself to the Philistines with their God's hands and head falling off, the fact that it keeps battling, and now with a plague of tumors. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out, we can't keep the ark of God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. We will all be destroyed with Dagon, along with Dagon, our God. So they now acknowledge that he's destroying their God, and their God had to be protected. Just a side note, and this is, this is free. If you go to Target, and your God of choice is for sale at 50% off, he's not worthy of your worship. Just so you know, if your God has to be protected from another God, you are worshiping the wrong God. The people are freaking out. He's standing against us. What does that tell me? They have no idea what it looks like to have God stand against you. Because this ain't what it looks like. You know what it looks like? Ask the people at Sinai. The ground opens up and 3,000 are swallowed. It closed back up and it's as if they never were. God doesn't need to do things slowly. He's God. He created everything there is out of nothing with a word, a thought. He can uncreate it. When God did the flood, his goal was not to destroy humankind. His goal was to save humankind. And he would do it through eight. Men and women, back to this. We will all be destroyed along with Dagon, our God. So they called together the rulers of the Philistine towns and asked, what should we do with the ark of, of the God of Israel? The rulers discussed it and replied, move it to the town of Gath. So they moved the ark of God of Israel to Gath. But when the ark arrived at Gath, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, young and old. He struck them with the plague of tumors, and there was a great panic. So they sent the ark of God to the town of Ekron. So let me give you some, let me tell you what's going on. From extra biblical historical documents and from 1 Samuel chapter 6, next week's text, we get the idea that this plague was spread through rats. So it didn't happen overnight. It was spread gently. It will gradually, not gently, nothing gentle about this. Historical documents tell us that this plague we're referring to was hemorrhoids. Really, really big, bad hemorrhoids. God said, I'm going to introduce myself to them by being a pain in their bottom. <laughs> if God wants to kill you, he ain't going to give you a hemorrhoid. If God's going to judge you, he's not going to give you a hemorrhoid. You see, we have this idea of God that he's black and white, red, or, or black and white and red all over. I was just going to tell a joke. He, that he's, he's, so, he's so like us. I love you, I hate you. There's a different character to God. I'm going to chase you. Let me read for you from Isaiah 45. For those of you who say, why would he chase them? Gather together and come, you fugitives from surrounding nations. What fools they are who carry their own wooden idols and pray to gods that cannot save them. Consult together. Argue your case. Get together and decide what to say. Who made these things known so long ago? What idol ever told you they would happen? Was it not I, the Lord? For there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by my own name. When you're God, you can do that. I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken the truth, and I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to me. He's crying out to these people in Isaiah, 500 years before his birth. All of you who are not Jews, you still can come to me. 
And what is interesting about the Philistines is when they come face to face with the power of God and everybody in the nation is standing because they can't sit down and they see their God being destroyed by Jehovah, instead of running to him, they decide to get rid of him. Because there are three things that we basically do when we come face to face with God. And I want to say everybody does. We either run to him, we fight against him, or we bow the knee to him. Those are your three options. You either try to get rid of him, you try to fight him, or you bow the knee to him. Those are your three options. The world today has these very same three choices. To try to send Jehovah away, or fight him, or run to him. The difference between us and the Philistines or the lost is that we have chosen to run to him. That's the only difference between us and them. God's still God. How do I say this carefully? He is our dad. He's not our owned God. O-W-N-E-D. We didn't make him up. We don't own him. And, and, and I, I want to go high and tight on this for a second. For too long, and I don't know how long, but the church, the body of Christ in our country has tried to make our God palatable to the lost, to those who don't like the truth of Scripture. We've tried to explain him away in a way that the world will like. They'll get it. They'll, be, they'll understand. And I want you to know to change who he is to make him more palatable to people who don't want anything to do with him will never work because you're changing him from a fish God to a grain God. He is who he is. He said of himself, I don't change. I am the same yesterday, I'm the same today, and I will be the same tomorrow. And it is our job as his children to take his word and learn who he is, not who we wish he was. It's not incumbent upon us to take a verse from this book and a verse from this book and a verse from here and a good preacher who tell, puts them together in a way that makes us feel good about ourselves and discover a new God. You see, you are either the child of God or according to Colossians, you are the enemy of God. As much as we want the world to say we're all the children of God, that's not true. We are all the creation of God, but the people who are his children are those who have been adopted into his family through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Well, he did that for everyone. He certainly did it for everyone, but there's a whole lot of people rejecting that offer. And I want to make it clear that if God was willing to sacrifice his son for us, he's willing to sacrifice us for them. Well, that's not nice. Well, we're the one who screwed it up in the garden in the first place. What's nice is he's not giving us what we deserve. Because what we deserve is eternal separation from himself. What we get is mercy and grace and a calling. You see, our job is not actually to help the world stop being immoral. Our job is to tell them that despite being immoral, they can be adopted into God's family through the blood offering of Jesus and, and be with us. They don't have to resist God or try to change who we think he is. They can join us. They don't have to be at war with God. They can run to him and call him their child. Well, they don't want that. That is their choice. That is your choice. Jesus over and over. I think it's probably one of the things that he said more than anything else. He said to people, choose you this day who you'll serve. He never said, what do you think I should do? Actually, Jesus said, I didn't even come to do what I want to do. I came to do my Father's will. You see, his Father has a will. 
And that will is that all people come to repentance, but many people don't want to. And you can't make them. But it is your job to offer it to them. But you have nothing to offer if you stop knowing who he is. If the fish God can be turned into a grain God and the grain God can be turned into a gay-loving God and a gay-loving God can turn into a, a drinking God and a drinking God can turn into a, a little fuzzy snowflake God, a millennial God, and he can be black and white and green all over, he's no longer who he is. And I'm seriously concerned about many within our body that are demanding God do things that they want without any question as to whether or not he wants to do that. Even Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to die on the cross. It's going to be lonely and painful. But he ended saying, not my will, though, yours be done. You see, Jesus Christ did not come to give to do your will. He came to do his Father's will. And we don't exist today to have a happy life. We exist to live a holy life. To live out our royal nature. If you choose not to, you're going to live your life in misery. Trying to figure out why as a child of God you don't have joy. Because if you are demanding God do what you want him to do, you're not living for his will, you're living for him to do yours. It makes sense. You may not like it, but it makes sense. You see, he's either God making him sovereign of all things or he's not God at all. You are. If you are the one who runs everything, then you're God. Worship yourself, which most people do. And I just want you to know that you have been adopted for a high purpose. And that is to tell the world that there is meaning and hope in God, not in life. It is clear through Scripture that in this world, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Scripture tells us that we are going to suffer and have difficulty, but keep focused. He's coming back for us. If you don't believe that, don't pretend to believe it. Run to him as he is. Don't run from him or try to change him. It's not going to work. He doesn't change. He's God. He is who he is. If your kids came to you every day of their life and asked you to be something you weren't, you might put up with it for a short period of time, but you would eventually look at your kids and say, I'm just me. God cannot, no matter how many songs we sing about it as kids, do anything. Shocking, right? God cannot do anything. Let me be the first to make it clear. He can only do that which does not violate who he is. There's an old Sunday school joke. Can God, who can do anything, make a rock so big that he can't pick it up himself? No, he can't. That's ridiculous. He can't violate his nature, and his muscles are bigger than you think. Can God make a pen and put a bunch of angels on top of it? These are questions that are stupid. He's God. We're not. The question is, are we okay with that? He's God. You're not. Are you okay with it? He's God. The Jews are not. Are they okay with it? And the answer is no. 
That's why they killed Jesus. Jesus kept kind of doing what they wanted, and that gave them excitement. But then he said, all you want is food. Well, give us more food. Yeah. And they leave. Do you remember the day they decided to kill Jesus? It's the day they raised Lazarus from the dead. Why would you kill a guy who just raised another guy from the dead? Because you couldn't control him. Lots of people leave in the church because they don't like the God of the Bible. That is your right. But you do it in peril. Don't run from him. Run to him. This is why we try to beg of you to get into the word of God. Because I want you to know who he is, not who I say he is. Not who your hero from the 1800s says he is. Not, from, not, not, not your favorite author. Not Beth Moore. She's great. But at the end of the day, who cares what Mark Wilkie thinks or Beth Moore? What matters is what does God say about himself? What does he say about himself? That's what matters. There are evangelicals today going around saying that this book is full of ancient stories of men 2,000 years old. Don't take it too seriously. Wow. Be careful of heretics wearing clerical gowns. This is our final authority. This is truth. I don't understand it. I'm about to get in your face. Have you even tried lately? When was the last time you actually opened this book and read it? Not in preparation for a message or because you read the daily bread. I mean actually open this book for yourself. As a child of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, when was the last time you opened this book to say, God, show me who you are? Not God, help me have a good day. God, help me understand my life. God, help me understand you. You, Jehovah. Help me know you. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. We need to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born in human, as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every, all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I want to be clear, there may be opinions and feelings and wishes about what is absolute truth and what's not. And people may decide what they want to believe and even make gods of their own designed out of pieces of trees or parts of rocks. You can make his bottom half a fish and his hot top half a human and then turn him into grain. But the fact is, you can change God to be whatever you wish he was. But the fact has always been and will always be that there is no God but our God. And even the wood and the stone that they make their gods out of, even the very pieces of ground that others will make images of their fake gods out of, they will bow. We will bow. Everyone will bow. Everyone. Well, I don't believe that. It will not change the fact that you will bow. You can believe that God doesn't exist. It does not change his existence. The world around you is constantly attacking your God and your belief system. And at times, it begins to wither away our trust. Turn it off. 
and open the word. Be encouraged. Our God is not mocked. Even we are mostly clueless as to who we call Daddy. Even the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus for three years, three years he walked with him and knew him, and even was so comfortable with Jesus in the flesh that he wrestled with him. Hey, who's going to sit on your right and your left? He was one of those two. He was constantly wrestling with Jesus. Even he had no clue when he saw him in his glory for the first time. Remember this from Revelation 2? I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering, suffering and in God's kingdom, and in his patient endurance to which Jesus Christ calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in the book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, he's about to get an eyeful of Jehovah. I saw seven gold lampstands. And in, the, and in standing in the middle of the lampstand was something, someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe and a gold stash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like the mighty ocean waves. Please notice all the likes in here, because he can't really describe what he's like. He had seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Even John bowed. Not because he had to, or an angel pushed him down, but because that's what you do when you see God in his glory. We are his children. We can boldly approach his throne. But please understand, when we see who we boldly approaching, when this dimness goes away and we see him for all that he is, we will fall on our face. We will be terrified because he's not just Jesus. He's Jehovah. When he came here, my friends, he humbled himself and put on a form that we would grasp. That's gone. This this is him in his glory. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Yeah, right. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in the grave. And John must have been thinking, Jesus, is that you? You look so different. This one that I so flippantly pray to and I talk about and I sing about, this one that we decide so lightly to talk to or worship, this one John argued with the other disciples about helping lead God's work in the world, he is the Holy One. He is the Lion of Judah to us a lamb. He's not as we wish him to be, or long for him to be, or, or want him to be. He is who he is. He is the great I am. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And before him, every knee will bow. Not most knees, not half the knees, not Christian's knees. Every knee will bow because that's what you do in his presence. 
We, we've, we've allowed our minds to begin to tell us that this is just a different religion that happens to be more true than the others, but there's truth in all of them, and if we could just combine them and then put Jesus in the middle, that's not how this works. He's God. There is no other God. Everything else is just an article of worship. The, the Ark of the Covenant was an empty box without Jehovah on it. This is God. Before him, every knee will bow, whether it be an angel, a demon, a believer, an atheist, or even a rock. It will bow before him because it must. It must. I want you to ponder this for a minute. Bill, will you play that? You place the stars 
that God that even Dagon, the rocks that made him up, bowed down to? The New Testament tells us that he has numbered the hairs on your head, and some of you, that's an easier job than others. He knows the names of the birds that fly around the sky and drop dead in the road in front of you. He knows when they fall. And he loves you. He loves me. I got to admit, as I studied this week, I thought to myself, I've been spending, I've spent most of my life trying to understand this God, and I don't. I just don't. And sometimes I try too hard. Sometimes we just need to get back to bowing, you know? This last uh, couple days, China destroyed the largest evangelical church, I think, in the nation, or the second largest. God wasn't sleeping. Wasn't sleeping. Doesn't matter what our president says about people and nations. Doesn't matter what the other side says about people and nations. Doesn't matter if we lose our tax-exempt status. Doesn't matter if this country allows gay marriage or not. It doesn't. It really, really, really doesn't. But I don't like it. Who cares what you like? You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Do, do you understand that? I, I struggle with that too. How could God? Blah, blah, blah. He is who he is. He's not a trinket. He's just the one that loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. What? That plan that's unknowing involved us. You. Well, he's not treating my life well. I should have a better job or a better husband. He saved you. Does that not prove his love? But there's so many other things. Nothing is more important. You can run from him or try to send him away. You can fight him. Bow. Let's bow, okay? Please join me in bowing with him. The problem with the church today is not the music or jeans, it's not, you know, it's, it's not the state of marriage, it's not the state of adultery. The problem with the church today is we stop bowing as he is. We've stopped trying to discover him and tried to redefine him. We've created a God who's half man, half fish, and we want him to be a grain God. And when he doesn't do our will, we send him away and try to create another one. He is not who you wish he to be. He is who he is. His name is I Am. He is the same yesterday, today, and he will be the same tomorrow, whether we like it or not. And you have a choice to make, and I have a choice to make, and it is either bow to him or fight him, and I choose not to fight him. Right? Let's pray. God, we don't understand your ways, but Scripture tells us we won't. We hurt we get scared, but Scripture told us we would. And then we, we cry out to you and expect you to do things our way, and we don't end our prayers with, but your will be done, not ours. 
And Scripture warned us not to do that. You tell us to come to you, Father, and bring our heartaches and our pain. Come to you without fear that you will accept us. But understand that your will needs to be done, not ours. So, Father, change the way we see you. Change the way we see ourselves in light of you. And may we look around this culture and this community and this world and not see Democrats and Republicans and gay and straight and drinkers and non-drinkers and white and black and brown. May we see people that Jesus Christ came and died for, invited by the King of Kings to join his family through his son's sacrifice. Change the way we see the world. Change the way we see you. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. Have a great day. Slave to our uncertainty, help us with our unbelief. Oh, oh, God, forgive us.